Cool. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Uh, my name is Josh, and I am giving the sermon of announcements this morning. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we have a visitors list somewhere. I don't, I don't know. A visitors list is in the back. So if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, and we just want to get your information and just contact you, give you updates on what we're doing here. Uh, the next thing is the graduate mixer. That's going to be next weekend at the ranch, November 3rd. Is that a Saturday? Yeah, yeah it's a Saturday, 6 to 9. Uh, this is for people who are graduating this upcoming December or May, whichever. And there will be a Facebook event that you can RSVP at. Next is the DNC group photo next week. So everyone that doesn't dress nice on every Sunday, you need to dress nice, okay? Um, that's a lot of y'all, just saying. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that'll be next week. Is that happening here? That's happening here? Okay, cool. Is that before or after? Okay, after. So you can, you can still be late if you're typically late. Uh, and then the last thing is small groups. Um, yeah, mo they're Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And so we've been already going through a lot of that already, which has been super great. The small groups are great. And if you're not in a small group, then you could go talk to any of these people or just anyone in the church. Most, I think most people are in a small group. And that's it for today. Also, I have the offering basket. So it's going to go all the way around and then back and then all the way around. I've had a lot of, lot of fun with this casting shadow theme that I'm speaking on today. Um, I... Um, Brad mentioned it to me, and I have to admit, I'm about as out of pop culture as a human being can possibly be. Uh, and I'm really glad about it, you know? Uh, you know, when you're younger and you realize you don't know who some popular band is or some song, you're just embarrassed, and now I'm just glad. Uh, I don't have to prop all that up anymore. Um, but Brad talked about throwing shade and, and being the the modern that I am, I went and looked it up in, in the, uh, the very esteemed uh, WikiLeaks. Uh, just kidding, just, just throwing some shade at you here. Um, to see where it came from, honestly, I'd, I'd never heard this term. But I have to admit, I've never watched the movie Paris is Burning or RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I had to ask one of them who RuPaul was. Um, just going, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, it, <laughs> I found out that it's, a, it's, that it's defined by Merriam-Webster as a subtle, sneering expression of contempt for or disgust with someone, sometimes verbal and sometimes not. The OxfordDictionaries.com says throwing shade is a phrase used to publicly criticize or express contempt for someone. Uh, the slang version of shade originated from the black and Latino gay communities and was initially strictly used by those communities. The first major use of shade uh, that introduced the slang to the greater public was in the documentary film Paris is Burning, which is about the mid-1980s drag scene in Manhattan. Uh, in the documentary, one of the drag queens, Dorian Corey, explains what shade means. She says, shade is, I don't have to tell you you're ugly because you know you're ugly. 
Shade can take many forms. I'm, t- I'm just telling you what's getting ready to happen to you. <laughs> My assignment, sorry. Shade can take many forms. A hard, deep look that could be either aggressive or searching. Gives me a lot of latitude. A compliment that could be interpreted as the opposite of one. Uh, E. Patrick Johnson, who teaches performance studies and African-American studies at Northwestern University, and who has written about the tradition of insults in the gay and black communities, that's really a thing. I mean, he's written a book on just the insults. I think, okay, I'm going to read that. He says, if someone walks into a room with a hideous dress, but you don't want to say it's hideous, you might say, ooh, look at you. I've got a couple of those statements in my sermon today. At its most refined, which I'm going to go there, shade should have an element of plausible deniability so that the shade thrower can pretend that he or she didn't actually mean to behave with incivility, (laughs) making it all the more delicious. So, you know, just trying to think through that, I understand it's a very complicated craft that it takes some, someone of a much younger, more sharp mind to be able to do. Am I doing something here? No, you're doing great. Okay, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it takes somebody really young and sharp like Kevin to be able to use this. I want to stand in your shade. You want to stand in my shade? But what I wanted to say to you, it really does take really special minds to understand something that makes no sense. So I want to congratulate you. And I know that you younger people are in touch with pop culture and that you have quicker minds, of course, more wisdom about gutter behavior and understanding about bad grammar and know how to insult others in passive aggressive ways, though. So I bow to you on that. Uh, And gosh, it comes from such leading cultural sources as the gay communities. Why wouldn't we use it? Girl, anyone knows a gay bar is where it's at. Um, I mean, it's popularized by RuPaul, so we need to kind of bring that into church culture. So so anyway, uh, what I want to say to you young people in the whole church today is you are very special. Very special. Seriously, I'm excited to get to be here with you, and this is a lot of fun. I I like to learn new things, so it was kind of fun looking into this. And I really don't have a very complicated sermon today, but um, I'm going to warn you um, some of the things I'm going to say in just a little bit, I hope offends everybody here because I found it very offensive when I wrote it. And I mean that in a very positive way. Because what Brad was really doing was playing on pop culture to say he wanted me to come and challenge your thinking so you have to think. Because our, our concern as leaders, and this has long been my concern, is not telling you what you need to think. Because I grew up in that. And let me tell you, I changed a whole bunch of what I think. But what I came to understand in my life is we need to teach people how to think. 
And before we can teach them how to think, we have to teach people to actually think because we just don't realize what parrots we become to popular culture. So I just have a few reflections that I want to share, and then I want to read you from the text of the seven woes, and then I want to share a poem I've written for you. The first reflection is just on modern-day America. America is in a civil war right now. And the carnage is every bit as serious as what we see in what we call the civil war. But it's a cyber war. It's a, it's a, it's a sectarian war with people strewn out. And you, it doesn't take much to read on the internet and in the media to listen to politicians to see we're at war. I believe the civil war we're in right now is much more serious to our country than the first one. And the first one absolutely needed to address what was going on. But the, but the sins that are involved in this, that's pulling people in, that's sucking people in, many of those things are even worse than what we were fighting in the first one. We, we think everything is new because there's nothing new under the sun. Having lived 66 years now, I've gotten to go through really a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I remember and I've seen and I've seen the cultural revolution of the late 60s and 70s. And so I, I do have something to kind of draw on. And I was a part of that. And the baby boomers have really done a lot of damage. And that's my generation. We've done a lot of damage to our culture. Uh, there's been some good things, I think, that we would say. But there's a lot of damage that was done. Uh, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Really, yeah, things change, but it's not better or worse. We tend to think we're smarter than people were because we have more technology. But which is smarter, people that have a lot of information or people that can build pyramids and we still can't figure out how they built them? You know, people that can come up with stuff where there's no history in it or people that just take something somebody else has and imitate it. People have been brilliant from the beginning. And perhaps, arguably, we were more brilliant in our beginning. It's just different. And another reflection is on humanism. One of the things that I see that people are really blind to is the ancient religion of humanism. Most of you don't know that there are really three humanist manifestos. The first was in 1938 or 9, and, and the second came out while I was in college, and the third only recently came out in the last 20 years or so. I think it may have been in the 90s, but I think maybe 2003 that state very explicitly the humanist position. But I say it's ancient because it's nothing but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we can fix ourselves. 
And Satan is really good, guys, that he's come in from the outside and the church is very vulnerable. Christianity has been very vulnerable. Things we should have been on the cutting edge with, we were on the back edge of, of even addressing, even talking about it, having conversations about it. We hid from it. We castigated it. We didn't deal with it. And so Satan is really good at pointing out where we have been lax and then reinserting something even worse. But you should go read a little bit about that to see what is being propagated among us. Let me pull. I've got a new printer that prints on both sides and it is, I need to figure out how to stop it. First, human, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Second, humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Third, holding organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. Fourth, humanism recognizes that man's religious culture and civilization, as clearly depicted by anthropology and history, are the product of a gradual development due to his interaction with his natural environment and with his social heritage. Fifth, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. Six, we are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, and the several varieties of new thought. If you go on through this document and then go into the second one, you will find a lot of your social views embedded in it. Socialism is a product of humanism. And as I said, Satan is really good at picking a truth and just making a twist of it. And then we're shallow enough that many people develop their views on all kinds of things from a pop song or a movie. Things they think is the truth. It's that shallow. And, and how do we contend with that? And how should we be? How should we be living in our world? This whole humanism takes its roots, takes the roots of truth and makes them untruths. It takes weaknesses in the church and underhandedly drives its much worse agenda. Number three is reflection on how it all emanates from universities and media. Our, edu our secular education systems, as well as our religious, have become brainwashing institutions. It's, it's an unadulterated attempt to brainwash. Here's the real truth. Universities don't teach people how to think. They tell you what to think. And what they do is, th this is a cultic method of brainwashing. And if you understand anything about the cults, they will get involved with you and they will destroy what you believe by questioning you and expose the fact that you don't know much. And they will have their facts together to the point that they make you question. They create a, a vacuum within you. And 
And for anyone that knows a little bit of physics, you know if you create a vacuum in a container, if you open that container, it's going to suck whatever is in right outside of it. And they just happen to be there, and you suck it in, and you believe something that's 10 times worse than what you believe. Well, our education systems have an agenda. My, one of my first classes in college was with a, with a hippie teacher named Dr. Rich. I remember him well. I liked him. But um, our, our, our textbook, now you'll like this. This is a good hippie title. It's called The Search for Self. Now, you've got a bunch of country Oklahoma kids in there searching for self. You know, we were just, we were about as philosophical as could possibly be. And so he would just ignite these things. And, but really, honestly, he was trying to teach us to think. But as I look back at some of the things he said, um, there, was, there was something underneath that that, that was not helpful. Uh, but it was funny a lot of times, I can tell you that. The modern politically correct movement began as a needed adjustment. I was a part of that. It cost me a lot in the sense of rejecting hate and racism and sexism and even greed and trying to move us to inclusion. I've been a part of that in the church. Um, I've been a reformer in the church. And listen, I came in the Oklahoma church. It was pretty conservative, was very conservative, quite fundamentalist. And I was not popular with a lot of people. Um, because I had a very diverse ministry in a town that really only had white people, except on the campus. Um, and I took a ton of heat for it. But to me, it just made sense. But, but what it's done is over-rotated to become predominantly an arrogant hate movement, sometimes much more vicious than what it corrected. And, and you need to be careful to know that you get played by that. Now, not just you, but let me tell you what. Uh, the people in charge know who to go after. They know how to to force social change, and they're going to do it on campuses. Um, you know, you, you, you saw recently with the shooting down in Florida and how these high school kids were played. High school kids are going to tell us what we ought to do with guns. Well, I mean, I believe they can be heard, but what do they know? What do they know about anything? That they're going to sow strongly and adamantly advocate something. What do you know? What do you know about economics? That you're going to tell what kind of economic system we ought to have. What do you know about sociology that you can say how we ought to organize ourselves? Or about the Bible that you can really authoritatively speak of how the church ought to be. Guys, we, we have a responsibility. I'm not suggesting we should not speak, but we should not speak arrogantly. We should speak humbly. We should ask a lot more questions, make a lot more suggestions, rather than some of the things that we do that just are not the way Jesus did things. Uh, I can see from a lot of social media posts that it has sunk his hook that, that humanism has sunk its hook deeply in the, in the sum of your hearts. 
And I don't say that in a condemning way. It makes me really sad because I look at my own generation and see those things that were sunk deeply in my heart. This is not an accident, though. As I said, it's a, it's a concerted effort. Another reflection is on the early church and the influence of Hellenism on it. Hellenism, that's just a Greek word. It's simply Hellenic refers to Greek culture and ways, uh, the word itself. And how it was advanced across the world and particularly Israel by the Greeks and then even more so by Alexander the Great. And it spread to the cities and it kind of became the, the cool, the, the, the savoir faire thing to do. And the Sadducees were caught up in it. They're not, it's not talked a lot. But that's who they were. They were the cool people. And guys, this has become pervasive in our culture. But even among the cool church, we're cool. Wink, 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 wink. We, we, we got it. We're the cool Christians. Um. It was, it was a conduit for this kind of Greek philosophy of Gnosticism. And a number of our books in the Bible, the Gospel of John, for instance, are really written to address these underlying philosophies that were bubbling back up in Christianity. They even had Hellenistic cities on purpose because they were trying to advance what they thought was the truth. But Hellenism, if you look back at it, and Gnosticism was nothing but, again, another expression of the original sin, where humans control. We can figure it out by our knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil. We can do it ourselves. We don't need God. We can be gods. And in our modern day, it, it, it's kind of come... Uh, compliments, really, of early 20th century liberalism and then existentialism that followed. And I know Brad has probably saturated you with this stuff. Probably most of it was not right. But nonetheless, <laughs> this whole principle of existentialism, that truth is in our heart. There's my truth and your truth that makes each one of us our own God. I can do it myself. That ultimately truth, we find it inside. With atheistic existentialism, it's I find truth just within me. The theistic version is, is I encounter God and truth within me, but it's relative only to me. See, I can do it myself. I can figure it out, and I don't need God. I don't need any objective truth. I have my truth. But see, just as Ecclesiastes said, in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. These, all of these philosophies, in whatever you believe, whether you're on the left or you're on the right, if you will watch, you will see the original sin in it you're going to see the fruit of that old ancient tree that's toxic. And you can look at our society and see, see the result of it. See, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. And then peace-loving. And there's very little pure or peace-loving about what's been going on. Is that a fair statement? 
Because it's, it's disingenuous a lot of times. There's hidden agendas a lot of times. And it's definitely not seeking peace. We just further divide. The fifth reflection is on how it's bled into the church. See, it's, it's, it's created this self-righteousness. You know, I'm this, I'm that. And we make these bold, wise statements that we just heard RuPaul say. I don't know. I don't know who y'all are listening to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sadly, some of you heard Donald Trump say them. Don't repeat him, please. You know, guys, we are members of the kingdom of God. We just happen to live in America. We are not citizens of this world anymore. We represent something much more important, the kingdom of God. And we've got to remain neutral in the fight of the nation we've been assigned to be ambassadors in so that we can represent the kingdom of God. Now, is that easy? Oh, mm -mm. no. But it's the right battle. So we have to be very careful because what Satan does, he takes our problems. It's like the church not really being concerned about social justice. It's the truth. Not being concerned about the poor or the immigrants or minorities or women or gender issues. Not being concerned and not talking about it. Well, you're okay to talk about it. Everything was decided by somebody somewhere back there and this is what we have to believe. But see, what's happened is, is Satan has come in and challenged that. And we need to take it. We need to take it on the chin. We deserve a lot of what we've taken. You know, we deserve the shade that's been thrown our way. About a lot of things, but some of it we don't. Some of it we don't, and we have to be careful. It's like in Matthew 12, 43 to 45, an impure spirit came out of a person went traveling around and said, hey, I'm going to go back home to that person I was in before. And it arrives and it finds the house unoccupied. There's no others there. It's swept clean. It's in order. Then it goes out and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. The final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation, guys, that's going on right now. We're, as I told you, this vacuum is created and what we suck in is a lot worse than what was taken out. And I'm not defending what was taken out. So we're just hip people. We're cool. We're urbane. See, it's, we've got to stop that. Each, each generation of society and cool church creates their own little new rules and mores to reserve for themselves such sacred hipness. We, we even have language. We develop our Christianese and we kind of wink, wink, wink. Every church, it's code. And I'll just kind of leave it there, but we've got our own, just like, you know, throwing some serious shade. See, if you say that, I, I mean, I just... 
Yesterday, I was messing with you when I said, I think I, I, was, I meant to say casting shadows. Did I say casting shade? Yeah, I was tweaking you guys because I knew what you would think. I'm this old 66-year-old guy that's just not cool, right? I don't, I don't know near as much as you do. I'm 66 years old. I carried nearly, nearly a four point through a degree in chemistry, through two masters plus a master equivalent. I have read more books than most of you have seen. I have been to hell and back. And I've walked to hell and back with a lot of you. You see, for anyone to think at your age suddenly, you're cool because you know something that came out of the gay and Latino communities. Again, I'm not casting aspersion on those communities. I'm not. But is that really who we want to imitate? Is that really what's cool? I mean, we really have to do that to be relevant with you? Is that it? We've got to act like the world? We've got to sling underhanded insults and know how to play those Games that at their core are just sinful. Guys, my generation too. And the sixth reflection is about the Pharisees. They had their own brand of self-righteousness. That's what religious rightness is. See, self-righteousness is nothing but the original sin. We think we know what is right, good, we have the knowledge of good. And so we really don't need God. We don't need to turn to Jesus. We don't need a Savior. We're right. And it bleeds into our churches. You look at so many of our conservative and fundamentalist, conservative and fundamentalist churches, we all think we're right because we're right. Wink, wink. We're the closest thing to the truth. Do you see how sick and arrogant that attitude is? Even if it's the truth, that's one of the things I find repugnant about politics is people get up and tell you how good they are. I mean, it's just this barrage of people telling you how good they are and how much better they are than other people and then how bad other people are. And that's our politics. That's a campaign. And we buy into it. We start doing it. We're going to criticize Donald Trump. We're going to criticize Hillary. We're going to criticize, pick them, Beto and what's the other guy's name? Cruz. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Ted, he's, he's, by his own admission, he's awesome. So, you know, you just need to believe it. <laughs> You know, and we buy into it. We get involved with it. We get in the muck and the mud and we play with it. Guys, what you need to do is what you can do, and that's get on your knees and pray to God that he save us and have mercy on us because we are in a mess. I mean, you see it. Oh my gosh, this, this hate that's being engendered. And you want to say, well, Donald Trump's causing it. Oh, Donald Trump did not... Did not invent hate. 
I mean, when you've got one side saying, oh, you need to attack people out in the restaurants. It's time for us to quit being uncivil. And then you've got the other side shooting people in the synagogue and sending bombs to people. Now, which side do you want to be on? See, you need to back away and be on the right side. And that's on God's side. And you need to pray for people, not condemn them. They're lost. They're being used. They're being used as pawns. But the Pharisees thought they were right. They claimed they were right. For those that don't know, they were a sect of Judaism. They, were, they had taken the Old Testament law and turned it into a bunch of rules. Everything had a rule to it. And then they were the spiritual patrols of it. I mean, if you didn't keep it, they would, if you were picking you some wheat on the Sabbath and they caught you, you're going to be in trouble. And it was these guys that, you know, they, they were trying to trick Jesus. They couldn't have cared less about the poor woman. They're, they're the ones that caught the people in adultery and, you know, left the man off or better yet, let him come and help them condemn her and brought this adulterous woman and tried to get Jesus to stone her. That's who they were. <laughs> guys, it's no different It's no different than today and the way people from all sides talk about other people and want to kill them. That's what this war is. Let's just just trash somebody. Let's just trash them. Maybe, Maybe they even did something 40 years ago, but we're not going to forgive anything that falls into our category of unforgivable sins. Are we really going to do this? Is that who we're going to do to be that unforgiving? Maybe there are reasons to take those things in regard, but we need to be very careful about how vociferous we can become. But they were a strict sect. They, they served as this spiritual patrol, but Jesus exposed them as judgmental, heartless, disobedient, vain, hypocrites, and he reserved his harshest judgments for them. And Luke 11 and Matthew 23 are exposés on that. But the Pharisees are like so many conservative churches and liberal churches who think they've got a monopoly on God because they're right. We're right about the right doctrines. Guys, there's one thing we need to be right about. And I mean, it needs to be square in the center of our faith every day. And that is Jesus is Lord and I'm not. I can't fix anything. And one day he will fix everything. And there's the ultimate answer for all of this. Whether to understand what is and isn't good and bad or to fix what's bad. He's going to do that and we need to be good about that. But they thought they were right because they're right. But what Brad wanted me to do is to take this story from Luke 11 and throw some shade. And for those that know me well, know that God really did give me a prophetic spirit. I always want to be a nice guy. You know, I'm a liberal by nature. I really am. I'm not easily offended by anything. If somebody wants to do something, that's their business. I don't want to run people's lives. Uh... I I just don't have a lot of opinions on what everybody else needs to do. Just leave other people alone. 
Don't, don't rob somebody else of what their rights are. Uh, to be a Christian evangelist and pastor has been a real strain for me. And not only that, I, I really tried to listen to really good preachers that were encouraging. I wanted to be those. I remember a guy's name was Landon Saunders. I heard him one time. Every word was perfect. Well, number one, I couldn't speak like that. I was an okie. And there's no way that's going to get out of me. It's just, you hear it. You're just going to hear it. I'm sorry. That's who I am. I started to take speech therapy one time for it, seriously. And I thought, no, that's who I am. And that's where God called me from. And people need to know that. That if God's giving you a message, he's giving it to you from a little country okie boy who went to hell and back and God decided to use. Go figure. I found that God always loves to speak to me through people I think I'm better than. Somebody that I find obnoxious will come up to me and say, well, I always thought that this and this and this. And I'm thinking, you think I care? And I'm listening and I'm just wanting to, and then it's like, I can hear the Spirit speaking, thinking, God, don't do this to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am such an arrogant bum. You see, but God likes to do that. I mean, God spoke through a jackass one time, so he can speak through you or me. So just take confidence in that. So this story is, is Jesus goes to a Pharisee's place to eat with him. And this is the story in Luke eleven thirty-seven to 54. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then Jesus said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you, neg you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Duh. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, <laughs> woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build the tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for all the blood of 
For the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Well, I've written a poem called I, the Pharisee. Now, I don't want you to look at me or the people around you. I want you to cast yourself and see what parts of this shoe fit you. Because this is toward all of us. There's some lines in here that come straight out of looking in the mirror. And there's some lines in here that comes out of my relationships with lots of people in counseling. There's some lines in here that reflect what I think culture needs to hear. So this is a a poetic rendering. It is I who am the Pharisee. Noticing quickly the faults of others. Knowing, of course, the conventions and rules. I'm the leader of all the brothers. But it would be I who'd first notice Jesus not dressing, acting, speaking as we. Not smooth in the customs of good Christians, but uncouth and as awkward as can be. It would be I that Jesus would first notice and at once reveal all within me from inside that my manners and dress hide a story of selfishness, worldliness, greed, and pride. He would reveal that I'm brainwashed by humanism while all the while thinking myself so worldly wise, he would expose the toxic fruit I have in my pocket and all I hide behind this Christian disguise. He would tell me that I look good on the outside, but inside I've long needed a good cleaning, that while I'm good, come to church, read my Bible, it lacks much of the right motive and meaning. Then he would say, woe to you looking right at me. You present yourself so devoted and spiritual. But when you're alone, you think only about yourself. When you're humble and hungry, it seems quite a miracle. You think yourself entitled to things that are but gifts. You see rights in things that are not yours to do. Instead of realizing this world is all about God, you fools dare to think it's all about you. You make sure to give when you'll be seen giving. You want credit for everything you give and do. You love to be upfront and treated special when all are looking so adoringly at you. But out on the roads and in life, when anonymous, you are no doubt just quite a hot mess. There is completely another at the steering wheel without justice, mercy, faith, and godliness. You're that beautiful vase on the buffet 
lovely on the inside as well, others assume. But your vase is filled with a dead person's ashes. But here you are, decorating the room. You're insulted when told the real truth. You expect rather to be coddled and encouraged. You prefer teachers who make you feel good because negative talk leaves you discouraged. You've turned male and female into an utter joke. You think perverting creation normal and right. Calling evil good and good evil, you love darkness rather than light. You love your beer and your wine flowing. In your worldliness, you think you're quite cute. You strut your decadence and abuse the freedom I gave you. You're fools, but you see yourself educated and astute. You teach lessons to others about all they need to do. But you come in here and from beginning to end, you expect to be served and treated nicely, but scarcely lift your finger or your stiff necks bend. You talk about the failures of the ancients. You point out all the weakness of others. But by your criticalness and your judgments, you crucify the prophets among your own brothers. You express your opinions so daring and adamant, as if you know what only I know. You're divisive, hateful, arrogant, and ugly, as you put on your good Christian show. You're more concerned with your rights than what is right. You have a fine way of reading scripture or just ignoring it. To believe, say, and do whatever you want, lest you find life and church too boring. Your supreme interest is not for me and my kingdom. What's best for me and my church, not your test. No, your benchmark for everything you do is what you think for you is best. Yes, so immersed you are in modern humanism, brainwashed in the ageless, deceptive, original sin. You spout off your shallow opinions on politics and religion with the toxic fruit of that old tree mixed right in. So with a big welcome sign at your doorway, with doors locked from the inside, lest the wrong one get through, you stand and greet all those you approve of and those who act like or rightly toward you. But since I've walked in this room this morning, Christ continued, too few of you seem to be looking at me. You cared not most about my thoughts and feelings, the tears in my eyes you all fail to see. So I said, I hear you, Lord. Thank you for coming. I see now that I am indeed the Pharisee. Your words are biting, cutting into me as you've thrown some serious shade at me. God bless you. So between yesterday and today, um, I think that there's a couple of things that I, I know there's a couple of things I've written down that I really felt convicted that I needed to repent of. And I know that it's never fun to receive a rebuke or a challenge, but I think what we're getting ready to do in taking communion um, really goes a long way to making that safe um, because Jesus wants to make us better 
and he has already provided the answer for the things we need to repent of. He's already provided the forgiveness, but we can't receive that if we run from the difficulty of thinking through things that we're convicted of. And so I would just encourage you that over the last few days, if there have been things you've been personally convicted of, that you wouldn't run from that, that you would take the time to take that before Jesus and to ask him about it, to ask him to clarify that for you, and to repent and ask him to forgive you because he stands ready and willing to do that and already has done that. And um, so as we get ready to take communion together today, I would encourage you to be thankful, to be thankful for Jesus and for the price that he pays um, for us to be able to repent and turn back to him and turn from uh, choices we've made and mistakes we've made and sins we've committed. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, If you've not been here before, we just take a piece of bread and dip it into the grape juice and visit just a little bit and then come back to your seats because we're going to end up with some songs. Jesus, I thank you for challenging us. I thank you for your word and the way uh, that scripture challenges us and that um, exposes the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. I thank you for other Christians you give us that challenge us. And I thank you for always propelling us to be better. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you um, for your unconditional love and that you uh, love us through our mistakes and and through our challenges, God. And I just pray that we'll be better for you. Um, I pray, God, that we'll honor you. I pray that we'll live lives that reflect you. And I pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to change and transform us to be more like Jesus. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.